Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. Um, I'm very excited to have Sis Wagner who is President and CEO of the National Association for Children of Alcoholics, which is a leading prevention, education, advocacy, and membership organization focusing on children and families affected by addiction in the home. This created and managed a training institute that trained over 10,000 school, court, and community professionals. She has taught education, she has taught addiction studies at the college level for nine years. She also spent 10 years as a lead substance abuse trainer, written numerous articles, co-authored books and program materials, including SAMHSA's Children Program Kit and Help is Down the Hall, a handbook on student assistance. She has also directed the Clergy Education and Training Project that has created training manuals for clergy education. This specialty is children and families impacted by parental addiction. She has been the recipient of multiple awards, including two presidential awards and the NIAAA Senator Carol Hughes Award for translating research into practice. Thank you so much, Sis, for um, agreeing to be on our show today. This topic is near and dear to my heart as I grew up in an alcoholic family, and while my father quit drinking before I was born, all the isms of the family were still there, and I didn't really even understand it until I began to work in this profession. And then all of a sudden, behaviors and and attitudes made so much sense to me. But when you grow up in a, in a family system that, that's affected by this illness, um, you know, the world, you see the world through a much different lens. And so I applaud you for helping children of alcoholics and, and their families because the, the need is great. It is great. Uh, when you think that one out of four children in this country lives in a family with serious alcohol abuse or active alcoholism, uh, you imagine uh, when you understand the impact that that has on children during their early development, you can imagine what really a public health problem that is for our country, but it goes mostly unrecognized because the children are uh, don't understand, as you didn't understand. You didn't know how to read the signs. Children don't. They see that what happens in their family is what the way families work, and they adapt and adjust and <clears throat> learn to survive. However, the family system goes. So it is a it is a major problem, and yet we have learned so much about it and about how to help children 
no matter whether their parents recover or not, how to help them to not only survive but to thrive and have a good life. So it's the exciting thing about this work uh, is that we have learned a lot. Uh, NACOA, National Association for Children of Alcoholics, our organization, has been in existence and working to try and mediate and ameliorate the problems for children living in families with addiction for 30 years. And over that time, a great deal has been learned clinically with adult children of alcoholics, uh, and a great deal has learned has been learned working with very young children in not only in treatment centers where their parents might be in treatment, but also in our schools and in even in preschool now. Um, so in many ways, I think there's no excuse not to address this problem, and I thank you for doing it today. <clears throat> well, I think that, um, you know, oftentimes when I first started in this profession, I was told it was a family disease, that alcoholism and addiction are a family disease. However, there weren't that many programs that treated it like a family disease. So I always, was, there was kind of like a disconnect um, between what we said and what we actually practiced. Right. It was, it's interesting because um, I came into this field not at all through uh, being connected to addiction. I came into the field because I was working in child abuse and neglect and juvenile delinquency programs in the Michigan, in southeastern Michigan, the Detroit area. <clears throat> and during that time, the other people that I was working with on these programs and I saw the same thing, which was every child that we were involved with trying to mentor and help had an addicted parent. Some, some of them had more than one, and they had a lot of uh, problems in their families that flowed directly from the drinking and the drinking behavior in their families. And yet the people who were running those programs never said anything about parental alcoholism, didn't teach any of the workers who were involved in the programs uh, to address it. And so what we were doing was working with children and never once mentioning the main event in their life, which was almost always a precipitating factor that got them into trouble to begin with. So it was it was stunning for us to... I was working with the Junior League on this, and we had about 50 or 60 people involved in these programs. And when we suddenly woke up one day as as the workers were reporting on their caseloads. And uh, and we realized we were all saying the same thing. And it was like, well, something's wrong with this picture. So we really deliberately went out to family systems conferences and, and went to NCA, National Council on Alcoholism Conferences, where where the, the best learning took place in those days at those conferences and figured it out that that people who were making decisions about troubled children and children in trouble didn't have a clue about the impact of living in the the pain and the confusion and the dysfunction that often wreaks havoc in alcoholic families. They they simply didn't know, they didn't think of it, and they didn't do anything about it. And so what happened for children was the presenting problems got addressed but their real problems did not because the adults making the decisions, making the laws, making the developing the processes and procedures, whether it was in schools or in the courts or in churches, uh, didn't know. So that's what got me going. I thought, well, if we don't have adults understanding the issue, making uh, and what makes a difference for children, 
it's never going to change. So uh, that got me here, and I have met many people like you that really uh, enrich my soul who have, have been through one phase of it or another and have taken their experience, learned more, and decided to help educate the world. So I feel like a kindred spirit, Mary. Oh, well, thank you, sis. I mean, I, you know, I think in a lot of people's case, you don't really understand what's wrong because the family I grew up in, I come from Irish Catholic background, so this was multi-generational. So what was normal in our family was very abnormal in the world, but you didn't realize that until you went out into the world. And then trying to make sense of it because, you know, the people that didn't drink in my family kind of saw life through one set of lenses and the rest of us kind of saw reality. And trying to come to terms with when you see something and somebody's telling you, well, no, that's not really true. You know, it's really this. And, um, you know, it was just... um, I don't know, it was, I can still remember when it clicked in my head and I thought, wow, so this is what's been going on. But, but nobody talks about it. Nobody was talking about it then. And you didn't have a frame of reference to understand why you felt the way you did, why you reacted the way you did. And, and why was there, what was this thing that was going on in your family that just didn't feel good? But if you did talk about it, for most children at least, if they do talk about it, even if they talk about it inside the family only where they're supposed to keep the secrets, they in somehow or other begin to feel disloyal, ashamed, or get put down, or they're told that it's not that bad, you're exaggerating, uh, I was right there, no, it wasn't that way. So they, they, they find that their reality is not only not validated, it is often denied by the people that they should be able to trust the most. And, and so it, it is confusing. You want to trust the people in your family. You want to trust the messages from your parents. You want to be able to believe that they will take care of you. And, and too frequently the experience is not the same. I mean, addiction is, you know, is a, is a disease from which millions of people have recovered and are recovering, but it is not only about the unhealthy use of the substances. It is, it is very much about the emotional and psychological pain and trauma that goes on in the family. The system, the family system is traumatized, and each individual child is traumatized, and each differently. So there's nothing exactly the same. For each child, it depends upon what they're exposed to. It depends upon uh, their age of development and their capacity to perceive re, uh, to, to perceive what's going on, to know the difference between uh, their perceptions and other people's reports. Uh, it's, it's extremely chaotic for children, and living with addiction really does often result in cumulative trauma that really deeply affects the family members from the earliest stages and throughout their life. Uh, and unless they bump into reality as you did, you, you appear to have figured things out in a way that probably is better than many people do. Uh, and, uh, and so what were you doing? You were living the no-talk rule in the alcoholic family. And we'll be right back to talk more about this really wonderful subject with this after this commercial.
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is this Slinger, who is the president and CEO of the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. And I think it's really important for everybody to understand that, that alcohol doesn't cause alcoholism and that this is a chronic brain disease that one that has a spiritual, emotional, and physical component to it. And certainly there's a pre-genetic um, vulnerability for alcoholism and addiction and, and that um, this affects people from all socioeconomic backgrounds affect people from all cultural backgrounds, just like other diseases affect people from all different backgrounds. And I, and I really want people to understand that the children of all family types are affected by, um, by this disease. It's just not the, the kids who end up in foster care or the kids who end up in um, protective custody. So I just wanted to make that point because it, it just, affects everybody. Well, I would, I would go further to say the vast majority of children of alcoholics, at least probably 75 or 80% of them, uh, are children that you can't see. You don't know that they're suffering uh, as they are. They come from uh, stable-looking families. They come from in social and economic environments where they have access to resources. Their family has access to resources. And, uh, and as a result, they're able to cover more than other children are. Uh, but uh, on the, there's two ways to look at that. The children... The people who are in our prisons and the people who are in our treatment programs are far more likely to have grown up in an alcoholic or a family with other drug dependency than not. So it's well over 50, 60, 70 percent 
in our in our life prisons, um, it's it's eighty five to ninety percent, and and so while alcohol doesn't cause that in our social structure today in our society, the major costly social problems are dramatically impacted by children growing up in these families. But I think Mary, it's important to talk about the larger number as well, and and the larger number are people who go to school. Uh, who graduate, uh, many of them are the presidents of their classes and the, and the captains of the football team. Uh, they, they have learned not only how to survive, but how to look good and, to, and help make their family look good by, uh, by being super successful. And so there really are all kinds of outcomes in the way children manifest themselves from living in these families. But what they all suffer from is a loss of connectedness with nurturing parents. And that's on, a, that's on a continuum because in some families, one parent may remain fairly stable and the other parent uh, may not be abusive, may not drink in front of the family, may only drink in private and not be around. But, but all children who live in these families suffer a sense of loss of what they need for healthy social and emotional development. Uh, I think that, that an addictive family system uh, is often a very hostile environment. It's harmful to all the members of the family, but particularly damaging to the children. Uh, the, they are the fuel. It is the fuel. Alcohol and drug use is the fuel that feeds child abuse and other forms of family violence. So while we, we must say that the vast majority of alcoholic families uh, do not engage in serious family violence, uh, violence can take place in the form of emotional violence um, as well as, uh, as physical violence, uh, putting children down, uh, demeaning them, uh, lying to them, not, uh, not consistently being there when they need you. All of those things are very harmful to a child's development. It knocks them off kilter, uh, and, and it really can, over time, develop... Uh, facilitate the development of depression uh, and anxiety disorders in adolescents uh, that can carry for a lifetime. Uh, we know from from uh, our experience at, at NACOA and with the founders of NACOA that uh, the adult clinicians, adult therapists, especially family therapists, uh, marriage counselors, and social workers find that the majority of their clients usually are ones who come from these families, and it's because of the residual effect that sticks with them if somebody doesn't intervene and help them when they're really young. The, the economic costs are huge when you think about what happens when a parent who is a breadwinner loses their job or is demoted or spends all the money irrationally it makes it less possible for the children and the families to have the, the equal economic advantage that others have. Uh, often they need to go to work early in order to be able to get by. Uh, but all of them do something in every alcoholic family <clears throat> is they follow three rules. And Mary and I talked about the first one was that the first rule that, that happens in an addicted family is don't talk. Don't talk about what goes on here. Don't talk about it in the family. If you do, what will happen is you will be so uncomfortable for having done so, it's not worth it, and you make the decision to be quiet. 
what's, what happens to a little child who learns not to talk about their reality, who learns not to ask questions, not to get clarification about the confusing things that they are seeing, about the promises that are broken? They learn very early if they express their feelings that they will probably pay a price for that. And so they learn not to feel either. And when children are growing up, if they can't honestly address issues that they're surrounded with, if they can't express their feelings, if it's not, it doesn't feel safe to do that or they don't believe that it's safe, they have to stuff their feelings in order to survive. And those will come out sidewise. They will come out uh, later on in anger. Uh, any number of um, uh, negative consequences come from stuffing your feelings. And ultimately, if people in the family don't talk honestly about how they feel and don't talk about what's really going on, they learn very early not to trust. And so we say the, t- the rules that make a, an addicted family toxic are don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. And you know what those do? Those protect kids from getting into trouble in the moment. And so those rules help them to survive. But moving forward into adolescence and into adulthood and trying to establish healthy relationships with other people is very difficult if you can't talk about how you feel. If people start getting close to you and start talking about their feelings, it's frightening. Uh, and, and you come at the issue of trust very differently than if you're growing up in a balanced, healthy nurturing family because in those families you automatically trust until proven otherwise but for children of of, uh, growing up in addicted families and and families that are riddled with uh, concomitant uh, dysfunction uh, they they don't trust you have to prove to them first and that's a logical outcome and and so what do we do to try and help these kids? We try to institute programs and educational events and discussions that break the rules, that show them that you can talk about this subject, that it is very pervasive. Children need to know that they're not alone. Most of them, when no one talks, think that their family is the only one like that. But when they have a chance to hear adults talk about it, uh, they may not speak up the first or even the fifth time an adult says something. But if a teacher talks about it being very commonplace, says that there's lots of kids in this family who live with a mom or dad or drinks too much, if a clergy person in the, in, the, in the Sunday sermons is talking about issues, there's many of issues in the scriptures, in, in the scriptures from all faiths, where something could be pulled from that and comment about, as in alcoholic families, this happens. Um, if children can hear that, if their doctors will ask them when they're in for their regular physicals, anybody in your family drink too much or use drugs that you're worried about, they, they may lie when they answer the doctor, especially if a parent's sitting there, but they will have heard the question. And hearing the question is in and of itself a profound educational experience. And so um, I think that we can break these rules and that we have many tools to do that and many systems can help doing that. Um, So that's, uh, before I move on to another subject, I I thought that uh, I would ask you if you know much about the Adverse Child Experiences Study. Uh, I don't. And it's... um, uh, and if I go too long for the next break, we'll just stop and I'll come pick it back up again. 
Yeah, I'll the, the, um, the Centers for Disease Control, a number of years ago, like about 15, 18 years ago, uh, started looking at what we talk about a lot now, and that was the dramatic increasing increases in medical costs, especially for the chronic diseases that plague people who are a little bit older, over their 50s or 60s. Uh, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, obesity, uh, arthritis, uh, cancer. All of these diseases have some rooting in the immune system. And they started looking at these and brought in their top researchers on these various diseases that cost so much money and, uh, and tried to figure out new ways to determine if there was something else in prevention that they were missing. And, and because they were going through all of the usual preventative things that they had found evidence as working, but many of the, of the patients didn't follow the protocols, didn't stick with the program. They relapsed, so to speak. And, uh, and so they decided to try a different tact with some of them and see what would happen. And they decided to interview they're the people in this study. Now, the study went on for 10 years, and it had 17,000 people in it, 17,000 people who had medical insurance. So this is not people who were without insurance, who were living in poverty or living on the streets. These are people who either were employed or they were in a family where someone was employed and had insurance. And they went back and started to interview them about their childhoods to see if there was any connection with that. And what they learned was those people who died sooner of those major diseases, who had more of the diseases, and, um, and, uh, um, and who uh, were, if they were getting better, were following the medical protocol, fell off the wagon, so to speak. Uh, and those were people who in their early childhood lived in families where there were a number of adverse childhood experiences. And so that has been now called the ACE study. For your, for your listening audience, Mary, you could Google ACE, A-C-E study and read quite a few scientific papers that have come from this. There's well over 100 already been published. But the sum and substance of it is when children are growing up in an environment of chronic emotional stress, which is at some level the norm in an alcoholic or drug-addicted family, they are exposed to a number of adverse childhood experiences. And, and it is different from uh, family to family, but there's never only one. But there is one adverse child experience that is in with all of the others, and that's living with an addicted parent. It's the only one. The other things that happen is living with mental illness, it's having, watching your mother get hit, uh, having a parent who's in prison, uh, having a, a parent who dies young, having a volatile divorce and separation in the family, or being hurt yourself. So these are all powerfully impactful circumstances that dramatically impact the emotional and the brain development of little children. So living in chronic emotional stress okay, at a young age. We need to take a break, sis, and we'll okay. come right back, okay? Okay. This is fascinating. Thank you. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
been listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Kelly covers our relationship with food and teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be, taking us on a weekly food journey, guiding us to a more rich and vibrant life. So tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. I'm very happy to have as our guest, Chris Wegner, who is the president and CEO of the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. And as we were going to break, you were um, summarizing the uh, the ACE study. And um, it, what we were talking about during the break was how this validated something that um, you were aware of 30 years ago and um, the effect that growing up in a, in a family that has some type of addictive disorder has on children. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, I kind of be fair and balanced. There are a lot of people who grow up in these families who go on to be very successful. And somehow they're able to transform that experience into something that's more um, like recovery. Um, it, yes. Uh, they, there are... A phenomenal number of adult children of alcoholics who are highly successful the way the world measures success, but they still have a very disproportionate number of divorces because of the inability to have healthy social uh, relationships, Um, and they often are attracted to other adult children of alcoholics because emotionally that feels more comfortable and more normal. 
than people who are open and sharing and honest if they've never had any help. The good news is that when people get, sometimes when they get just a little bit of help, that can make a huge change in the trajectory of their lives. And that help can come very young uh, if, it's, if it's dished out appropriately. But, you know, when we have a lot of conversation today about PTSD, and, uh, and of course, it's become so prevalent in the media as a result of the soldiers coming home from the, from the war arenas with PTSD. But, you know, uh, the people who worked with adult children of alcoholics in the early years and currently now, Dr. Tian Dayton, uh, were talking about PTSD long ago as the uh, result in adulthood of having been traumatized during childhood. And so these children who lack consistency and, and stability and the needed emotional support due to the chaotic family environment uh, may be physically and emotionally traumatized, uh, uh, but maybe not physically. Uh, but they could be, they're more likely to uh, be injured accidentally because parents are being inattentive. Uh, they may encounter permissiveness in their parents, which allows them to do unsupervised things that help them to get into trouble more often. Uh, but the bottom line is that they are more likely to develop mental health problems than the rest of the population. They are more likely to develop physical health problems and to die younger uh, and along the way to suffer from some form of PTSD. Uh, and, and so I think that the... The good news about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study is it is teaching us, giving us absolutely solid scientific basis for what we already saw clinically, but researchers would never buy because they hadn't studied it and studied it and replicated it and published. And, you know, what happened with our founders who were, they were a group of psychologists, social workers, teachers, and counselors. So they were professionals working in a variety of fields with either adult children who were coming to them not as adult children of alcoholics, but coming to them with difficulties in their lives. And they, as they worked with them, they realized what had happened to them as children. And so the, the adult, the psychiatrist and the psychologist who came to the work bumped into the social workers and the counselors and the, and the teachers who were talking about what they were seeing in young children. And, um, and that's, that's what the movement, the Children of Alcoholics movement, started. They came together and they started to speak out and they, they had conferences and thousands of people who were adult children of alcoholics or who treated them and didn't know what to do came to those conferences for about 10 years. And that's really how we got going. And, and, uh, and so we've moved from that, trying to uh, help people understand uh, the distorted reasoning and the depression and the hypervigilance and the loss of trust that, it, that it exists in adults. Uh, and we've moved more and more towards trying to help people who see children every day in their professional lives, clergy, um, uh, people who are uh, other kinds of faith ministers, uh, school teachers, uh, preschool uh, workers, uh, uh, early childhood development people, uh, social workers, and, and also primary care providers. And we've worked systematically with leaders from each of those, uh, each of those systems who, in their daily work, 
see children all the time and see families and are addressing problems that grow out of living in those families, but they don't know that. So we teach them about addiction and what's it like to live in families with addiction. We teach them about family intervention. We teach them about the the issues for adults, especially with the clergy. We teach them about uh, issues that come into a marriage that get exacerbated then with attempts to, to develop healthy intimacy um, and, and encourage them to alter their marriage preparation programs so that they can help people who are from these families uh, get the kind of help they need to have a lifetime healthy relationship. Uh, and, and we've been working with doctors to try to get them to, to ask the questions. We've been creating simple tools for grandparents and parents and for kids to help break the rules. And so much of what we do is designed in what we think everyone should think about. Family members, I think grandparents are sometimes the greatest resources for children once they sort it out. And grandparents go through tremendous denial because they, in many cases, tried so hard to to subdue it in their own family, to try and control things, protect their children. And, And in their older life, they wake up and see their children addicted and their grandchildren suffering. And so uh, once people can can get an understanding that there are very simple things that we can help children to understand, if we could just break the silence, for example, about uh, about kids thinking that it's their fault. You know, one of the things that we do when we're developing materials for children is to sort of run it through the the test. Is it breaking one of the rules for children? And is it breaking the silence about their being alone and about their not causing it? And try to get them to understand no matter what they do, there is nothing they can do to make it better. They can't fix it. They can't control it. But what they can do is learn ways to help take care of themselves by talking about their feelings, by making healthy choices, by celebrating themselves whenever possible. And so we look at messages that are given from grandparents, from parents, uh, to help children to understand these things, and that will minimize the impact of the chronic emotional stress. It helps them to see that they have some choices about how they will lead their lives day to day, moment to moment even, helps them to process how to find safe people that where they can share their feelings with. Uh, you know, they, they get their feelings honored in these kinds of discussions. Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, they get taught by example and often in, in small groups how to process uh, their emotions so that they can figure it out, that they really and truly are not alone, that they are really truly not at fault, and to understand that they deserve help. If we can help family members, including the youngest child, understand that addiction is a disease that has trapped the entire family, basically it's driving the bus and everybody's along for the ride. Uh, And if we can get them to understand this is a disease, you know, this is something that you didn't get told all the way when you were a kid, Mary. You know, yes, it's a family disease, but how is it a family disease? And what do the people in the family need? And each person in that family needs age-appropriate recovery support. And, and that's what, what happens in support groups for kids, educational support groups, in treatment centers, the few that do do programs for children. 
I know you've done some work with Jerry Moe. Certainly that is a model program for helping those children uh, that it's important to learn that it's important to talk and how to feel their feelings and, and to understand that recovery is possible. But, you, you know, know go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that we also need to realize that there are a lot of message delivery systems. It isn't just the, the non-addicted parent. It's not just a grandparent. It's not just a teacher. It's not just a clinician. If, if people in our healthcare systems are properly educated in the treatment systems, in interfaith, in our courts, um, if, if they all understand that they may be dealing with one person in a family who is suffering from addiction for whatever reason, whether it's a drunk driving charge or whatever, uh, but that person has people who are dramatically impacted, and unless those people who've been impacted as well get help, and get healthy, the addicted person can't survive in that family and come out and stay clean and sober. So it, it really is incumbent upon all of us, uh, those of us who love somebody who has addiction, whether it's a parent or a child, uh, and or whether it's a good friend or a coworker, it's incumbent to always say, but what help is the family getting? I mean, are the adults going to Al-Anon? Are they... Are the teenagers getting to Alateen? Are they going to other family support groups? Uh, what are they reading? Uh, are, does their school offer a student assistance program where these children can sit in an educational group, learn, and talk to other children who are experiencing exactly the same thing they're experiencing when they thought they were all alone? These are the ways we break that generational cycle that we were talking about earlier, Mary. You know, I think it's also important to understand, too, for the person who has the addiction. Back in the 80s, I worked in a 28-day rehab, and we showed this movie, Soft as the Heart of a Child, and it was all about addiction in the family. And we bought the movie with the intent that the people in the program who were all adults would begin to look at how their behavior affected their, their family members. And to every individual in that who came through that program identified with the children because they were still experiencing the pain from their own childhood. And I Absolutely. think that, that even people who are in treatment for their own addiction need to address um, the effect of the addiction on themselves that, that they grew up with, the family system that they grew up with. How can people find out more about, you've mentioned some um, programs and you've mentioned some books. How can people find, find these? Well, I, I think that uh, people can go to Al-Anon, al-anon.org, and uh, if they go to that website, they will get a, a tremendous amount of information uh, about being an impacted family member. They'll learn where there are meetings that they can attend. Uh, they have toll-free numbers that they can call, and they also will learn about Alateen for the adolescent and pre-adolescent children of addicted uh, parents. Uh, so Al, that, that website will take, that's Al-Anon and Alateen. They certainly can come to our website, which is nacoa.org. Uh, we are in the process of, of uh, modernizing the website, so we don't have everything up on it. But people, it's pretty clear. If you're a clergy person, you can click on that button and you'll see a tremendous amount of material for you. If you're a health professional, there's a lot for you. But if you're just a kid, there's a lot for you too. 
uh, in, uh, and so people can wander to that site. It's, it's rich with resources, even though it doesn't have everything on it at the moment. And little by little, we're going to um, have it transformed to be something where it can be somewhat interactive and help people more directly. And but we'll be right meantime, back after this next commercial, okay? Okay. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And our guest is Chris Wagner, who is the um, president and CEO of the National Children for um, Alcoholics Alcoholism. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the uh, adult That's children right. of alcoholics, which <laughs> we just are, call it Nicola. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I think that uh, the, the hopeful message here is is that there is recovery for families, and I'd like to spend a little time talking about what is the recovery process like for a family? Well, the interesting thing is that you you really have two kinds of recovery going on in a family when everybody is involved. Uh, You have the recovery of the system, the family system, which is a unit. Uh, And then you have, and that goes through various stages. And then you have the individual recovery for each person, and research, research has, I think, been very clear that the emotional turbulence within the family that's produced by addiction continues well into the first three to five years of recovery. So I want to 
say that right up front. Uh, so many people, including the family members, and, and sometimes really the family members, feel like a person's gone to treatment and they've gone to you know a month or two of AA or NA, uh, and they they need to be different. They need to have changed, and they don't understand that recovery is a long-term process, and it is a long-term process for both the addicted person and for the family members. And, of course, it, the, the length of time um, is, is related to the kind of help that they get, uh, the support that they get, and, and how long they were negatively impacted. Uh, but family recovery begins really uh, with, with, with what are individual recoveries for each of the members. And each of the members basically needs, I think, something we would call a holding environment. Um, a, um, a an 11-year-old kiddo, uh, if they don't have a student assistance program and support groups in their school, um, that would be a holding environment, an environment that helps them to individually connect with what's happened and individually do their own uh, awareness work and then their own recovery work. I'm not talking about clinical treatment. I'm talking about for most of the time it's it's becoming aware and understanding yourself and understanding the family system and understanding the disease. Uh, and so, or or Alateen is a wonderful holding environment for them. For for the adults in the family, Al-Anon could be enough, but you might. People might need Al-Anon and need some spiritual counseling, too. Uh, everybody has different needs in order to come to full health and recovery. But uh, each one needs their own holding environment. For little children, sometimes it's the next-door neighbor's house where somebody is honest with them and supportive, and when it's tense at home, they go next door, and the next-door neighbor gives them chocolate chip cookies, and life is wonderful. Uh, but we do need to be, we need to recognize that every member of the family, depending upon their age, their stage of development, and how much and for how long in their life they have been negatively impacted. For many children, they are the third or fourth generation down. So their parents were parented by alcoholics who were parented by alcoholics. And and so the parents sometimes do the very best they can but don't have the kind of healthy parenting skills and don't acquire them until they work to get them after they're in recovery. So I think that's a really important concept that uh, we shouldn't just pat kids on the back and say, isn't it great your dad went to treatment all as well? Because it isn't like that at all. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of adjusting that goes on developmentally all the way through but for children, uh, and I, I mentioned schools before, school is, a, is especially a supportive area or can be, but so can a faith community or a grandmother or a friend's nurturing home. Uh, but these holding environments are really critical to help support the child while the other family members are healing. Uh, so it, it all depends. It's, it's like so much an addiction. It all depends. The good news is that there's really some great programs, and Nicole is very proud of uh, one program that we have that we have been uh, expanding in the last few years, it's called Celebrating Families. It is the only evidence-based whole family recovery program that has worked miracles with some of the toughest families. So because of that, it's used in many of our drug courts and our dependency courts, but it's also increasingly being used as the family aftercare for people in treatment because 
It is a program where all the issues get addressed in age-appropriate ways. Uh, and uh, any of your uh, listeners who are interested in something like that can go go to our site and, and click to it. But we also have a separate site for that called CelebratingFamilies.net. We also created a tool a number of years ago, and I'm thrilled to report that just this week, the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has agreed to update it slightly and reproduce it. It's a program toolkit with tons of activities that are fun and very educational and very supportive for children. They're all age appropriate. They're, it covers the categories that we've talked about in this uh, in this afternoon. Um, and uh, it helps, you know, it, games that help kids learn how to deal with their feelings, etc. It's called the Children's Program Kit, and that will be available again soon, and it will be free. Um, it was so well received by treatment programs and especially by schools and student assistance programs and churches uh, eight or nine years ago when we first created it for SAMHSA that 180,000 of them were required, were requested. And it's a whole curriculum, K through 12, that can be used in a variety of settings. So those kinds of tools are out there. And then simple little tools with <clears throat> just simple messages to children to remind them. So recovery, there are recovery tools, and there is a uh, beginning understanding, and I think people like you, Mary, are making that better, uh, beginning understanding that children are profoundly impacted and that when they don't get their healing needs met, they are the most likely to be tomorrow's alcoholics and addicts. And if we want and to since stop this... We have to, we've come to the end of our hour, and I want to thank you so much. You've given us so much information and so much um, hope for um, the recovery of uh, families and children. And thank you so much for all you do and all you've done. And um, you truly are one of our pioneers and very well respected. So thank you, sis, for taking well, thanks, the time. Thanks, Mary, for, for having us. me. I love doing it. Oh, well, it's, it was wonderful. And we don't talk enough about this. Um, I hope everybody has a great week and um, enjoy the new fall weather. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.